Welcome back to another episode of Sagawine. Since we are at the end of 2021, I thought that I would wrap up this year with this one last episode by, I guess we'll get a little bit personal <laughs> for this episode. I wanted to talk a little bit about the podcast, how it came to be, who's running it, and a little bit about myself without really revealing who I am. And I would also like to address some of the questions that I have received from people that are living abroad that have no idea what it's like to live in Myanmar right now. And so I thought I would just kind of, you know, talk about a wide range of things for this episode. So forgive me if this is all kind of all over the place, but I will try to organize my thoughts and speak coherently as much as I can. So I guess I will start by talking about the podcast, Sagawai. So how it came to be. Well, it was actually a personal creative project that I had thought of back in back towards the end of 2020 I really wanted to pursue a creative project and I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do and I thought maybe oh okay I could try to do a podcast this was obviously before the coup and so I had a lot of ideas of about what I wanted to do with this you know the topics I wanted to talk about a lot of it kind of revolved around culture, art, and politics. But the way I've had to execute this project has been a little bit different, obviously, under these circumstances. Yeah, so that was how it happened. Me, as a host, I've decided to remain anonymous just purely for security reasons. And to talk a little bit about myself... I was born and raised in Myanmar. I am Burmese, but I am I grew up in a mixed household. And prior to Sagawain, I don't have experience in audio editing, developing social media content, just, you know, even being a podcast host, I had zero experience. I just learned it on the go by myself. And Sagawine is currently a one-woman show. I'm the only one that's managing the social media content, coming up with topics for the podcast, editing the podcast, um, interviewing guests. So everything is done by me. So it, it's, it can be a little bit overwhelming, which is why it's been difficult for me to juggle a lot of these responsibilities on my own um, this isn't you know a full-time thing that I'm doing I don't have a partner I have help along the way here and there but they're not uh, consistent yeah so basically I'm kind of doing this all by myself I do lack in a lot of things because of that you know I don't really have a release date every week or every two weeks I was planning to set it on a Wednesday or a Saturday, but it didn't work out. Um, it is difficult 
when you don't really have a partner to work on this with because when I don't have the motivation to do it, it's just not going to happen. But if you have a partner, at least one other person can either motivate you know, the other person who isn't feeling it to be like, okay, let's do it together. Or the other person can just continue on with, you know, posting on social media or, you know, working on other little things and stuff. Um, so it is a bit tricky for me to juggle everything all by myself because I do have, you know, other things going on. And so it's just a bit too much for me sometimes, but I am trying to um, be more consistent with, you know, posting more and coming up with more interviews and um, things like that. So I really appreciate everyone that has supported and listened to my podcast so far, and I hope that it grows later on as well. And I will continue to, you know, work hard on this as much as I can. When the coup first happened, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to execute this because I didn't know what I was allowed to or wasn't allowed to say. Or I guess, would I get in trouble for saying something, you know? And that was always kind of in the back of my head before I started this. But then again, I'm like, well, there are a lot of people doing everything they can to be a part of this revolution. Why am I afraid that I might get in trouble? And that was just kind of another cycle that I would always go into. Like, why why do I, why am I afraid when other people aren't? So yeah, that, that was something that I kind of struggled with before I started this podcast. And at one point I was just like, oh, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just do it. <laughs> Let me just do it. Whatever happens, happens. And and so here I am living in a society where, you know, the ones who are governing the people happens to be the military and they are viciously monitoring social media and are targeting anyone who is against them. It kind of discourages you to you know, say whatever you want, do whatever you want. And it's, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it did affect me a bit. Feeling afraid is valid. But if you really want to do it, you just have to do it. So that's what I did. <laughs> like I mentioned before, I don't have, you know, experience. I didn't study audio editing or, you know, social media, developing social media content or anything like that. But I did study political science and I did work in that field for a while as well. So I've always been interested in this field of politics. With the coup and everything, I wanted to, I guess, do something to spread awareness and educate people about Myanmar and what's been happening but also not just politics but also a bit about the culture and the art and about the people as well and so I wanted to kind of bring everything together and um, yeah that that's kind of like my goal <laughs> to 
educate people about Myanmar and not just about the coup, but also about other things that make up Myanmar. That being said, I'm not an expert in Myanmar. Yes, I'm Burmese, but I'm still learning as I go. I really encourage everyone to do the same, you know, continue learning, continue um, searching up about Myanmar and keeping up with the news because it's important um, to a lot of people in Myanmar that the world is still caring about what's happening. And so, yeah, it's funny because I personally am a very introverted person. I'm also a very private person. And here I am talking to people, interviewing people and being a podcast host, but I am enjoying it and I hope to grow more and to be able to come up with interesting and educating content for everybody. So a lot of my friends, not a lot, a few of my friends abroad who've never been to Myanmar, who've never lived in Myanmar, who've never experienced a military coup, they would ask me, you know, how how life, what are you doing? How do you pass time? What is it like to live in Myanmar right now? So I just wanted to kind of talk about this as well. Um, What I personally, this this is what I do. Um, So what do I do to pass time? Um, I've been reading a lot more ever since the coup, just, um, it's a good escapism, but also, you know, allowing myself to read up more about Myanmar and just kind of immerse myself in books because I do love to read and I do love to learn, especially about Myanmar and um, the history of it and things like that. And, um, what is it like to live through a coup? I mean, I will tell you, when the coup first happened, there was a lot of uncertainty. We've had periods where people had no internet. The first day of the coup, especially, we couldn't call anyone. Phone lines were cut off. There was no data. The only thing working was Wi-Fi. And later, there was also an internet curfew. So they would shut down the internet at 1 a.m. And then we wouldn't get the internet back until 9 a.m. the next morning. So it was just a weird time because when there was that internet blackout, there would always be something going on. And then the news would, you know, come up later in the morning when people have access to the internet and be like, oh, they arrested this person and they took away that person. And it was always so hard to wake up to the news. But at the same time, you want to know what happened because you want to stay alert and be prepared. But it was just so hard. Imagine waking up and all you can think about is, I got to check my phone. I got to check what went on last night. And the news is always so dreadful. And yeah, so that was a period that a lot of people went through. And there was also a period where people would stay up late at night to guard their neighborhoods because the military would release these ex-convicts like uh, prisoners um, that were in for you know big crimes and they would 
be drugged and they would be sent into these random neighborhoods. It was just like a scare tactic. And that kept people up. That kept me up. I slept with like a scissor <laughs> near my bed because I was so paranoid. So that was like around, if I'm remembering it correctly, maybe like around April, May. Oh, maybe not. Maybe like March when it first happened, like the, the first few months of the coup. Um, yeah, those weren't easy times. <laughs> and the airports were closed for a period of time, but now we do have relief flights. They were doing these background checks on people that wanted to leave the country and things like that. And I don't know if they're still doing that now, but I hope not. So yeah, and the curfew, we have a 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., I believe. But if you go out at night around 8.39, the streets are really empty. There's literally no one. Everything's basically closed. It's a dead city. And it's so sad to see that happen to a place like Yangon because Yangon was so busy all the time with cars people and now it's just like really dead and empty and really really creepy too honestly um so yeah i haven't been out at night the latest i've been out was probably like 9 nine thirty. there are a lot of things that still happen but it's how do i say it's not new to people anymore you know Sometimes, out of the blue, they will enter a neighborhood. They will enter into your home, like, literally at midnight or whatever, and they will ask for a household list, and they will check to see if everyone's in the house or if there's an extra person in your house. They will question you why that person's living there, and that's kind of just a way for them to hunt resistance fighters or also known as the People's Defense Force, the PDF. So they do that in certain neighborhoods. Um, but I personally have not experienced that, but I do know people who have. But that's terrifying. Imagine you are sleeping at home, and it's midnight, and there's a knock on your door, and there are soldiers <laughs> at the door asking for this household list. It still happens in certain neighborhoods, certain rural areas, I'm sure. But it's just not, it's not something that people are surprised about anymore. Because it has happened so many times. It's just, people are, I mean, I don't want to say the word used to it. It's scary, but what can you do? You can't do anything. And that sucks because you feel powerless. You don't, you can't defend yourself. These people are supposedly supposed to protect you because they're the military. They're the soldiers that are supposed to protect civilians, but they're not. And speaking of rural areas, there has been a lot of fighting with the military and the PDF plus the EAOs. There was intense fighting going on in Karen State and the military carried out an airstrike. And as a result, people are internally displaced. So the number of IDPs have been increasing alarmingly and I think it's easy for people living in the city to be nonchalant about it 
because, you know, the people living in the city, they're not being directly affected by these attacks. They're not the ones running for their lives. They're, they're not the ones losing ho- their own homes. And, you know, the people in the city have it so much better. And I think a lot of people forget the reality of what's happening in many of these places and i think it's just important to remind yourself that there are still a lot of people suffering and dying every day and just to be mindful about it i know it's hard to keep up with news because it's very it's intense it's overwhelming you see these graphic images of you know like bodies and it's it's difficult to process it but imagine actually having to live through those in real life what if that was your family member i think it's hard for a lot of people to still kind of stay connected because in the city especially things have gone back to quote-unquote normal but in a lot of these rural areas it's completely different things are getting worse and it's just a very different reality in different parts of the country so i think it's just important that people still remember that shit is still happening it's still very real nothing is normal yet really and you just have to be mindful you know about about what's happening (laughs) And if you feel really helpless and you want to do something about it, you can donate. You can donate to help IDPs or you can donate to the PDF, you know. I have the info on the podcast Instagram. Um, I create a little highlight, so if anyone's interested, you can go check it out. But yeah, you can donate um, if you feel really helpless and you want to do something. You know, if you can't donate, that's fine too. You can spread awareness on social media, talk about it with people. You can educate yourself more on this topic. And yeah, you can always get involved somehow, even if you can't donate. So don't feel like you can't do anything, so you're not going to do anything. You always, there's always something that you can do. So yeah, don't forget that. And like I said before, in the city, things are sort of back to normal. I mean, you know, shopping malls are open, markets are open, people are going back to work and things like that. But sometimes there would be a shooting or a bomb or something of that sort that would kind of make people panic. But then that would die down again and people would just kind of live like go go about their day um so i think i mean yeah i guess to a certain extent people are kind of used to it and oh yeah this has happened before and they are just more it's just not like new anymore which is so sad because none of this is normal and i need to keep reminding myself that this isn't normal a lot has changed since february and these are just some things that are just popping up in my head but obviously there's a lot more right there's a lot more um that 
I could talk about, and this could be a really long episode. But yeah, the idea of having freedom, being able to speak your mind, express your thoughts in a society where the military rules the country, that's just not possible. And if you go out to protest, you could potentially get killed. And that makes me so mad. You know, that makes me so mad. And I really look, I really respect the people that still go out to protest. Um, you know, these guerrilla protests where a small group of people would just pop up and protest for like five, five or ten minutes and they would just scatter before the security forces come. Like, I really respect those people because hell, that is bravery. You were literally going out on the streets. You could get killed or arrested and, you know, be thrown in prison. Yeah, so it's a lot of courage and <laughs> I have a lot of respect for all those people that still have the courage to put their lives out there for this movement. So I, I'm going to wrap up this episode because I feel like I've been talking a bit too much. I would like to thank all of my listeners so far for your support. I hope that you share this podcast with your friends and family. And also I will continue to work on this and um please continue to listen to my podcast whenever you have the time and yeah i just want to say thank you and i wish you all a happy new year 2021 hasn't been the best year for a lot of us and honestly i don't know what 2020 has in store but i hope for the best and i hope everyone is staying safe because we still have pandemic going on and for those in Myanmar we have both pandemic and the coup so I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and warm and be with your loved ones and take care of yourselves all right I'm going to wrap up this episode thank you so much for listening I will see you the next time you tune in which will be in 2022 Bye-bye.